Welcome back to the Open Source Startup Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Robbie from Cowboy Ventures, and joined as always by Tim at Essence VC. And today we're super excited to have the co-founder and CEO of Strappy on the podcast, Pierre, and he is building an open source headless CMS. So welcome, Pierre. Thank you so much for having me. I'm extremely excited to be with you today. Awesome. So on this podcast, we'd love to start way back at the beginning. So why don't you talk us through where the idea for Strappy came from and what the company's origins really were? Yeah, sure. So we are three co-founders and we actually met when we were students back in 2013. So we were studying computer science and we made a lot of projects uh, at university and even more as freelance developers because we needed to make some money. So we've built a lot of websites and applications for clients. And so in that context, we've used a lot of content management systems, WordPress being one of them, of course. But the issue is that when we wanted to manage content on mobile applications, or when we wanted to build a website using modern front-end frameworks, at the time it was the ways of Backbone and Angular, all of these uh, frameworks and mobile applications were designed to be connected to an API. But the issue is that traditional content management systems do not have an API. So it's possible to add an API for plugins, but it's slow, it's not customizable. And on top of this, all of the CMSs were based on PHP. And PHP is fine for many reasons. That's a great programming language. But we were front-end developers doing JavaScript all day long. And at the time, it was also the ways of Node.js, uh, which was fantastic and still is a fantastic technology to use JavaScript on the server. So we're like, well, we really need a CMS that is API first. And nobody was talking about headless at the time. And we wanted this CMS to be based on Node.js. So we've built that tool for us. We started using it for our clients' projects, and we quickly realized that everyone was having similar needs. Developers, digital agencies, companies. And so we decided to make the project public. And for us, it was a no-brainer that any CMS should be open source. So we published the project on GitHub. Uh, it was in October 2015. And we started having some users, which was super exciting because we are still students at the time. And so we missed the project as much as we could on our evenings, weekends, and holidays. And that's how we, it got started. Yeah, you have amazing strappy story timeline, I realized. 15, 16, 17. And so I don't think we'll go over the whole chronological, every single year major events here, but we definitely want to learn about how... Because we talked to quite a few CMS companies and they all started with the frustration of traditional CMSs and actually a lot of freelancer or consulting turn companies. But I also realized all CMS look so different. They actually don't look the same. And we like to kind of see like, what is your approach from day one? Like, how did you come off the gate to describe Strappy back in 1560? What was the, the way you sort of position yourself and... What are the early growth came from? Did you go after traditional CMS people and the frustrated ones in forums, right? I don't think Hacker News was pretty bad still back then, but what was the particular ways you got the early users to come in and grow? Yeah, that's that's a very good question. So yes, it's true that there are plenty of CMSs out there, but the reason why we, we created Strapi it was for this API-first approach for uh, Node.js as a technology and, and having a JavaScript based CMS. And, you know, we were developers. 
And we needed something that was extremely customizable because the project that we were building for our clients were different, very different from one to another. And so we needed a CMS that was extremely customizable. And we designed it this way, not because it was positioning, but just because we, we needed something like this. And we realized that, well, many people uh, in the world actually needed such a CMS because every project is different, basically. And so we published a project on GitHub in, in 2015. And so to get the first users, we published a lot of posts on forums, such as Reddit, and so on and so on. It was not on the Hacker News. We didn't have like this kind of uh, booming effect on or a big announcement. So it was more about spreading the world on, on different forums uh, where developers were, basically. And we started having some users, but the project really took off two years after, 24 months after, in October 2017. Um, so what we did is that we released a new version at this date, uh, which was the V3 of Strapi. And it was the result of 24 months of user feedback. So all of this feedback was extremely valuable. And I consider that something that you can get, especially when you build open source software because you have this big community and the feedback loop is, is way shorter. And so we've built this new version. We published it with a new website, new documentation. And what we started doing at this time, and that's really helped uh, taking off, was to publish content. So at Strapi, we build a content management system. So you can imagine how much we believe in content. And content is extremely relevant for developer tools because you can create valuable content. And to me, that's really what content is about. It's all about sharing knowledge and helping others. And so what we started doing end of 2017 is publishing relevant tutorials for developers. And at the time, Gatsby was the most popular framework on top of React. And it was before, before Next.js really uh, started being popular. And so we published this article, how to build a blog with Gatsby and Strapi. And so we've worked with the Gatsby team to elaborate this tutorial. They reviewed it. And so we started collaborating with them and they eventually published it on their own blog and they promoted it. And for us, it really helped us getting visibility on the entire Gatsby community. And that's something that's extremely repeatable because we then started doing how to build a blog with Vue.js and Strapi and so on and so on. And we can do the same thing with other use cases and blog and how to build a corporate website with Gatsby and Strapi and so on and so on. So that's really what's helped us growing in terms of popularity. And that's what we keep doing now. Of course, there has been a couple of other things, but content marketing with tutorials for the developers has been our main driver since the beginning. That's super interesting. And I think content, especially around like product releases and user flows and user pain points can be super effective. I want to dig into what that 24 months of user feedback looked like, because one of the biggest benefits, which you highlighted of having a, a big open source community is you have this group that you could interact with and get a lot of feedback from, but can also be really noisy. And I know now you have something like 18,000 users and Discord, I don't I imagine it wasn't that big back then, but 
What was your process for getting the right feedback that would then drive what you released in 2017? And were there any like particular conversations with users that stood out as being really pivotal to what you actually ended up releasing? So I can only confirm that getting all of this feedback can be perceived as noise because it's, it's too much information that you receive. And also because we have our own biases, it's really hard to prioritize accordingly. So there are three things I'd like to share. The first one is that one of my co-founders, Jim, has been doing a fantastic job at labeling the issues on GitHub. And I can tell you it's a full-time job, something that it's often not perceived by other people, but doing all of this maintenance on the GitHub repository and making sure that it's safe, healthy, is a lot of work. And if done well, it really helps getting more visibility on what are the requests, what are the needs from the community. And so it's not only about labeling, but also having this person or these people sharing what they see every day on GitHub. And so engineers and, and, and product team can prioritize accordingly. The second thing we made, which was a game changer, we published a new page on our website, which was stripey.io slash votes. And on this page, we listed all of the main requests from our users. And what they could do is to vote for the feature they wanted to see live. And that has been a game changer because we could easily see the list of the main requests. And this is something that we then migrated to a proper product management tool. We started with a product board and now we are using Kenny. But no matter what the tool you use, it is extremely valuable because it really helps removing the biases and prioritizing on the number of requests, ideally with how much critical it is for the users, depending of, is it a must-have or nice to have and so on and so on. So that's very helpful. And the third thing I want to share is that as an open source project, we didn't make any revenue for the first five years. And this was on purpose. We really wanted to build a very large community of users, not just to become the leading open source headless EMS, but just because it is our mission to empower millions of people to share and manage any content anywhere. And that's just what drives us every day. And so because we had nothing to sell at the time, we decided to add a pricing page, which might sound paradoxical, right? So we actually published a pricing page to better understand what users wanted and were willing to pay for. At the time, Strapi was... CMS, yes, but we also considered Strapi as an API framework. And that's actually where the names come from. Bootstrap your API, and then you get Strapi. That's a secret. No, it's not a secret anymore. And so we published that pricing page to better understand where we are really adding value and what people wanted. And so on the left, you could see the community edition with all of the free features. And on the right, there was the enterprise edition with everything people wanted at the time, no matter if it was something we already knew we would put for free or not. And so we listed all of the features uh, at the time. It was content internationalization, role-based access control, but also some monitoring stuff and so on and so on. And people could click on buy or subscribe. I can't remember what, what the label on the button. And they could fill in the form. And in the form, we would ask them for their email address, their first name, and the list of features they were most interesting in. 
And so that's helped us a lot to prioritize. And it's even helped us to be more precise on the category we wanted to be in. And based on this fake pricing page, we've been able to say with confidence that no, Strapi is not an API framework. That's a headless CMS with tons of customization capabilities, and you can use it for authentication and so on and so on. It really helps us better understand, okay, where do we bring value? And I think it can be helpful, especially for open source projects, because majority of the time, your biggest concern in the early days is to really build that community, and it can take years before you make revenue. But better understanding, okay, what people will be willing to pay for at some point, that can be valuable. But if you have to keep one thing in mind, do keep in mind that the vote page or any product management tool can be very helpful. And on top of this, I would also suggest the excellent article from the CEO of Superhuman, which is about product market fit. And this is also extremely helpful to prioritize while keeping your historical key differentiators. Because the trap that you can fall in when you take a look at all of the requests from users is that there there will be lots of must-have features for your specific category that people want absolutely because they are just must-have in your category. The risk with this is that you can become the same tool as your competitor or as any other tool in your markets because you will build these basic features. And so it's important to remind why you created your project. And so you make sure that you keep doubling down on our historical key differentiators and eventually that you have some others as you grow. But that's also something to keep in mind. Follow the driver, the driver being all of the user requests and you follow the flow and you will reach the ocean. That's fine. You can do it. You will be safe. But if you want to be more specific, more intentional on what you want to do, you also have to keep in mind how you are different today and how you will be different in the future. So I want to talk about maybe your core differentiator from the beginning, because we're looking at 2017, right? The really major release. Like you said, your front page says API creation made simple. It's actually highlighting the API aspects, which is where your name came from, right? Bootstrapping your API. But your current message definitely more so much more into the apps and CMS. And I wonder what's the iteration here? Is there something built into your product from day one that you're trying to tell your users how easy it is to build certain kinds of features and how that morph into your current message now, which is more apps and CMS? It's true that we started as a both an API framework and a CMS. And so at the time, our key differentiators. Well, you know, there was not even a market for headless CMSs because there was maybe a couple of SaaS competitors, but we, I think we didn't even spotted them at the time because the market was extremely small. Nobody was talking about headless CMSs. So our main differentiator was really being open source. That was the only and biggest difference. And as we move forward, because Trapi is open source, and because we designed it this way, Strapi became the most customizable headless CMS. And this is extremely important in this specific market because as I mentioned earlier, every project is different. And when we talk about headless CMSs, there is a head somewhere. And this head is the front end. And it's built 
by the developers. They use React, they use Next.js, they use Vue. And so when they build the front end, they also configure the CMS. And so they are the ones who get the requests from the marketing teams for specific requirements, specific integrations, specific design from designers, and they are going to configure the CMS and they are going to customize it and they are going to integrate it. And so that's why developers are so important in this market. That's why open source makes a ton of sense for any CMS. We published Stripey as an open source product since the beginning. We are convinced, but as we moved forward, we realized the deeper reasons behind these advantages of uh, using an open source for a CMS. And these differentiators, they're still true today. We can start seeing more and more headless CMSs, but when it comes to open source and customization and community, that's really where Strapi stands out from the competition. So I want to talk a bit about Strapi's user profile because a lot of the differentiation we've been talking about, it really speaks to developers, like open source, customizability, but you also have content creators and content managers that'll use a CMS. So can you talk us through how in the early days, like, your user journeys worked where I imagine developers were the ones who first found and loved you, but then how did you integrate the other personas into the product? This is an excellent question, especially in this market where where we have this duality between developers and content editors. And so, yes, we've worked a lot on the developer experience and we do not do any outbound, any company that uses Strapi today. It's because one of developers recommended Stripe in these companies. But it's true that at the end of the day, content management systems have been invented to give autonomy to non-technical people so they can update the content. And so that's way more where we are now. It's also about making sure that this other persona really love the experience. We do not expect them to recommend and to be our ambassadors. And we will keep this bottom-up approach with the developers, but we really want content editors to enjoy that experience. And so one thing that we've made in the product that's called components and dynamic zones is a way to give a ton of autonomy to the content editors so they can leverage the components that front-end developers do in their React application or in the view application or any other framework. And so they can Content editors can add new components on pages, on blog posts, so they can build pages by themselves using dynamic zones and test components that are actually reflected from the front end to the CMS. And this is extremely powerful to really create that bridge between engineers and marketers so they can update the website without reaching out to the developers. And again, that's with the purpose of of the website. And we've also been working on a lot of other features, such as world-based access control, content internationalization, so content editors can manage content in multiple languages, audit logs, review workflows. And we are currently working on a bunch of other things that will kind of reconcile the front-end and the CMS. What I mean by this is that with the headless CMS approach, there was the CMS on the one side and the front-end on the other side, but we, we are reconciling this too, and there is a, a lot of exciting stuff coming in the next few months. So maybe talk about, like, you you have sort of nailed down your key differentiation, right? You got into a space for open source, and you continue to grow. 
And now when it gets into, like you said, you have the pricing, but I think the definition of a product, what does the strappy cloud might look like and how do you actually start to transition your focus on how to actually get your users to know when you should buy, when you shouldn't buy. What are the sort of the initial thought process of how to define your enterprise products? And what are some key learnings you learn in that process? Like what users you thought you want to go for? And maybe there's some little bit of uh, some challenges and things you had to try and learn. So love to learn some of the details for sure. Yeah, sure. Um, so let's talk about uh, the challenge that probably every commercial open source company will have. What business model should I pick? That's a tricky question. It's a good problem to have because it means that these commercial open source companies who have plenty of, um, of possibilities. At Strapi, we started with the open core business model, meaning that we released an enterprise edition, which was basically an extension of the open source product, which we named the community edition. And so the community edition includes 95% of the features. It's completely free under the MIT license. And then we have the enterprise edition, which is an extension. It avoids us forking the initial product. It's really important for us to make sure that we have one single code base for the CMS. And so this extension includes additional features, such as single sign-on, audit logs, review workflows. And so the good thing about the open core business model is that one of your only key differentiators in the early days is that your piece of software is open source, meaning that it is self-hosted. And a lot of companies will want to use self-hosted software for privacy reasons or compliance reasons. And that's great. And so they will start using your tool, uh, but they will also want to make sure that the project is uh, sustainable. So they will look for support. They will want to make sure that they can call someone or send an email and they would get an answer and the project is here for the long term. And so these companies, they will also need some additional features, single sign-on, role-based access control, etc. And so it's the easiest way to get started with this existing users. They need these additional features. They want to keep self-hosting their software. So that's great. And especially if you have big SaaS competitors, well, you don't even need to compete directly with them because you're kind of this monopoly being the only open source solution. That's great. Uh, so you might start with an enterprise edition with the open core business model, which we did. And we've been very successful in doing this. Our revenue has never grown as fast as the past six months. It's going super well. So that's fine. That's a good business model. Many companies such as GitLab and MongoDB and, and many others have been very successful in that journey. Another business model that's very popular and more and more popular is having a SaaS version of your product. The benefits of having a SaaS version are that you will not kind of alienate your open source project because you will still be able to say that everything is free. Uh, there is no paid features. So that's one of the advantages. Another advantage is that, you know, using open source software might require setting up a server and managing the infrastructure and so on and so on. And a lot of companies just don't want to deal with this. And many of them don't have this compliance and data privacy issues. So they're happy with uh, signing up to something and everything is up and running for them. And they're happy to pay for that because they're used to. So it's better for these customers. 
And also in terms of uh, activation, in terms of discoverability, it's easier for them to get started and to quickly see the value and quickly reach the haha moments of your software. And so SaaS might be much better than that. And it can eventually force you to, as early as possible, find other differentiators than being open source. So that's a challenge for the majority of um, commercial open source companies. Of course, there are other business models such as offering support, but that doesn't scale really well or uh, using proprietary, I mean, not being open source, but using weird uh, code available or source available licenses. So that means that the project does, is not even open source anymore. So it can lead to very bad situations. So my recommendation would be to go default to SaaS. And the reason why I'm seeing this is mostly because we released Strapi Cloud in March this year. So Strapi Cloud is more a platform as a service than a software as a service. The reason behind this choice is because we want to keep all of the customization capabilities of Strapi. So developers still install Strapi locally, and they can customize anything and then de deploy it to our own cloud. So that's really the best of both worlds. And it's growing extremely fast. And so that's really something I would recommend to any commercial open source company, except if the market is extremely crowded in terms of SaaS competitors, or if you're dealing in a regulated industry, or if I don't know if you're doing maybe cybersecurity or this kind of thing, then and data privacy is extremely important. But I would, would really go default to SaaS. We've been very successful in that journey uh, so far, and it's the case with many, many other companies as well. So I, I just have one kind of pushback question on that, that I'd love to get your thoughts on, because one of the reasons why it seems like a lot of companies have been hesitant to go with a like coasted cloud or platform strategy is it's thought to have less product differentiation, which you, to your point, you can alienate your open source users in that way where you have products for paid and the open source doesn't have access to it. But then there's also this risk where, okay, well, another company can also provide a cloud service on top of your open source project. So did you think through that and, and what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, of course. And we've seen, unfortunately, too many commercial open source companies getting a ton of competition from cloud providers. And I think it's very important to differentiate infrastructure software and application software. What I mean by this is that infrastructure software is typically databases, network layers, and this kind of thing. So basically there is no user interface. And this is very easy for cloud providers to put as a service. At the opposite, application software such as CMS, but also some examples are uh, GitLab, for example, Sentry, and so on and so on. It is way harder for any cloud provider to put it as a software as a service, just because it does not match their design. And so, but yeah, that's something to consider. And I think it's easier to monetize application software than infrastructure software. Got it. So why don't actually switch back to your community growth? Because you have a really amazing number of stars and growth from a community. I'm sure you've done an amazing job at the beginning and sort of at the 17 launch and finding really the right position and timing for it. But as you also mentioned, there's a, quite a lot of headless CMS that jumps into this space. And to be able to continue to push through your growth and sort of your adoption, may want to talk about a few things. One is how did you continue to scale 
your adoption here? Because I, I know content is one big part of it. Did you hire a dedicated evangelist team? And what is your responsibility? What are sort of learnings as you go from like founder just talking about, you know, Strappy to maybe a team trying to grow and manage that community? What is, has been some major learnings in that process as well? So it's true that, um, well, in terms of timing, we started quarterly in the headless CMS market. Again, nobody was talking about headless at the time. And so, we, of course, it helped us being in that position now. And so stuff with the community changed a lot, of course, uh, over the years. And we really try to make the community the responsibility of everyone in the team, from engineering to products, but also support. And so we get more and more of issues and pull requests and, and contributions. It's very important to manage all of this. And in terms of popularity of the project, um, so first of all, like any software, it's all about making the best product. And it is something that's, that never ends. And that's probably why we, we all love building software because there are always things that we can, we can improve and the product and building a better product alone is, of course, something that drives growth uh, just because people talk about it. And in terms of advocacy, we have a marketing team. Uh, we have uh, a developer advocate. Uh, we spend a lot of time working on the contents. We even created the Write for the Community program. So anyone in the community can publish tutorials. And so that's very much aligned with uh, being a content management uh, system and having this uh, this big community. So yeah, it's a never-ending process. And I'm not even talking about revenue and the sales team and so on, but just for, for the project itself. So yeah, building a better product, promoting it uh, through marketing initiatives. But you know, it's also about um, everything our support team is doing with the community, making sure that we answer their questions. We also have uh, this community star program uh, with the most active community members. We also hired some people from the community who now are uh, full-time at Strapi. And that's also a way to keep uh, expanding the, the community. And there are amazing hires, as you can imagine. Yeah, and it's, it's quite unique compared to, I mean, we've talked to almost 100 founders on this podcast and to wait five years to start focusing on monetization is really quite amazing that the community for Strappy got that kind of like time and attention before suddenly there was another kind of paid product priority. How did you think about when it was the right time? Like why five years? Like, was there something that you were looking for to say, okay, now, now it's time. Like now we've gotten to a certain scale where it's time to monetize because I mean that it just takes a lot of discipline and you can see it in the numbers within your community growth, but just wondering like, what was it at that five-year mark that made you kind of then broaden out to say, okay, now we are going to focus on paid. It was yeah, kind of a crazy journey in a way because not making revenue for five entire years. Uh, when we were talking about these two people, they were like, but well, are you sure I'm building a company? And yes, we're so much convinced about the importance of the community. And that's that's just what we, we, we created Strapi for not to make a business, but now our revenue is growing super fast. It was really to, to build something that was useful for as many people as possible. And so we ended our studies in 2017. We raised a pre-seed one in 2018 and a seed one in 2019 and index printed our series A beginning of 2020. And so we were convinced and we had the chance to 
find investors who had the same conviction on the importance of building a large community of users before starting making revenue. The investor market was better than what it is today, let's be honest. It was not 2021, it was before this, so it was not that easy. But we had the chance to have very good investors, very much aligned with the strategy. And so we've been able to, again, raise in 2018, 2019, and 2020 without making revenue. Once we closed our Series A in 2020, we were like, okay, we know that for the Series B, it will be a very different journey. And so uh, the next investors will take a look at our revenue numbers and eventually some efficiency and so on and so on. We didn't know that the market would change that much as well. So we are glad that we started making revenue in 2020. But once we closed our Series A, we're like, okay, now we have to rebuild a, a business, not only a, an open source project. And the timing was perfect. We've set up the Enterprise Edition in June 2020. We started having a, a bunch of customers. We then started building a sales team. And we've been able to show very good numbers for the Series B we raised beginning of last year. So we closed it in June 2022. And um, yeah, it was like, okay, we proved it. We proved that within two years, we can build a very good revenue machine. And uh, once uh, this was done, we started uh, focusing on Stripe Cloud. And that's the new machine we're setting up, which is growing super fast. And as we move forward, we are also going to shift our focus to this new business model, which is what we call the great transition here at Strapi. And it really is a transition. Building two different business models is a lot of work and it's really like building two different machines. And that's why picking the right ones in the beginning can be important. So that's where we are now and we are shifting a lot of our efforts to Strapi Cloud now. So one question I want to ask is around maybe your partners. I've seen definitely you listed quite a few dev tools on sort of like the ways you can support deploying and using in different infrastructure. And of course, one thing also jumped out is Next.js, right? You have a lot of highlights around Next.js to either deployments. Yes. You have your testimonies and, and quotes. What are the strategies here? What are the ways you've thought about creating these partnerships? And what are sort of the ways you can build maybe like a deeper partnership relationship with some of these partners to be able to like, hey, what are sort of the investments on both sides we can continue to make? Because we often find partnerships sometimes are more like one-off, like one quick blog post, but to build deeper ones, seems like there has to be like more major discussions or major alignments. So just curious how you thought about these, because I realized not all CMSs are doing this either as well. That's a good point. Um, partnerships are um, might be difficult. They must be managed as a product. You could spend all your time building partnerships with everyone in the ecosystem. And I'm not. I'm, I'm only talking about tech partnerships. And I guess this is what you mean because there are also solution partners, which are, for example, digital agencies, and there are another kind of, of partnership that can dedicate full time. And so for tech partnerships. It's important to be very intentional on who you want to partner with. And the majority of the time, you want to gain visibility from these partnerships. You want to solve your customer issues by having better integrations or integrating with a tool that will also fill the gap in terms of features. 
A good example in our space is that there are some DXC for digital experiences that features like A-B testing, personalization content. That's something we do not have. So it's a good way to close deals sometime with our customers. But in terms of feasibility, we know that we can partner with front-end hosting platforms such as the Vercel or Netlify, and that makes more sense from our marketing point of view. And so the goal with partnership is really about being intentional on, okay, what do you expect from this partnership? Is it business development or is it visibility and more signups without necessarily a, a partnership with the sales team of the partner? So it's really important to be intentional and to, you have two different strategies. So, you know, you have different categories in terms of potential tech partners. And it's important to say, okay, I'm going to pick one partner in this specific category and I'm going to build a very strong partnership with this specific partner. And then the other ones will eventually follow, but at least I have someone in this specific category. Or you decide that you want the five most important tech partners in that specific category. And so you become the most integrated solution with this kind of software. So it depends on the needs from your prospects, from your customers, from your user base. But there is one thing I really want to mention now is that this podcast is about open source. And to me, you know, we talk a lot about composability and integrations and tech partners. And I, I am convinced that this is really where open source projects can stand out from the competition because they can empower the community to build these integrations, not necessarily the partnerships, but at least the integrations. Commercial open source companies are more willing to open source these integrations and to get more contributions. And so empowering this community is so important and it can make a huge difference. And I, I'm convinced that these commercial open source companies are in a much better position than proprietary software company that will develop the integrations by themselves and they will have this issue with the partner because it's always a chicken and a problem. Okay, uh, you will develop the issue and we'll promote it all the other way around, but you know nobody wants to build integration or usually it's a smaller player in the space compared to the other uh, one uh, <laughs> of the integration. But having a, a community that we offer to build integration to me can be way more powerful. There are so many, I think, great learnings for other founders, given the length of time this trappy waited to monetize and just how thoughtful you've been about gathering community feedback and the right monetization strategy. Are there any pieces of advice you'd give to other founders that are early on in their journey? Maybe they're like within the first year of launching their open source project. Like what are kind of the things you wish someone told you earlier on in your journey? Not too many things, actually. So... I had to pick one. Uh, well, make what users want. I think it's really important to collect feedback and to ship and to make sure that uh, people really love the product. It will eventually pay at some point, and that's why it's okay to to wait for monetization. But yeah, just make something that people really want. Build that community. Be close to the community. Work with them, not against them. And yeah, just pick one metric, matter if it's matter the number of downloads or the number of users or the number of stars and make sure that it grows. But at this beginning, do not necessarily focus on the overall growth, but focus on retention and user satisfaction. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this with us, Pierre. There are so many nuggets in here for other founders. And I think that the community is going to learn a ton from this conversation. Thanks a lot for your time today. It was great speaking with you.